You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, episode 40 with Candice S. Cook. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Welcome to Trailblazers.fm. I'm your host, Stephen Hart, and today I'm thrilled to be talking with Candice S. Cook. Candice is the managing partner at the Cook Law Group and the founder of the media company Namaskar Media. She's an attorney, published writer, filmmaker, noted philanthropist, and business strategist in the technology, entertainment, and corporate sectors. Feel free to check out her full bio at tbpod.com slash episode 40. I'll also be sure to post links and her her links to her website and social handles there on the show notes page as well. Let's get set to dive in. Uh, before we do though, I want to encourage you, go ahead and connect with me right now on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook. Our handle is at TB pod. As you listen to this episode, feel free to hit me up and, and, and share your favorite takeaways from this episode. Also, feel free to share it with your friends and family. That said, let's jump into this week's episode number 40 with our guest, Candice S. Cook. Enjoy. Candice, welcome and thanks for being our featured guest on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, for those listening, I was actually introduced to Candice by one of my favorite guests on the podcast, Lorene Pendleton, who's an amazing businesswoman. And she graced us back, I believe, on episode 22 with a ton of knowledge and resources. And Lorene said, Stephen, you know, you have to have Candice on. And so there is no question in my mind that I absolutely had to have Candice on. So I appreciate you setting aside the time to talk and, and share some some valuable nuggets of wisdom with with our community. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to do so. I found your guest to be incredibly inspiring and full of valuable information. And I believe Lorraine is no exception. She's remarkable. So I feel really humbled to be included. And I'm really just thrilled for the opportunity to talk and listen and share with you this evening. Yeah, so, you know, we're going to talk uh, business and dive into to some of your wisdom here in a minute, but I wanted to, to first start off our talk with a focus on gratitude. You know, I feel like it sets the right mindset for the conversations we have on the show, you know, when we're first able to reflect on what we're grateful for, despite all that's happening, you know, or happened in our lives, right? You know, I'd love to have you share what you're most grateful for in your life right now. I believe right now I am most grateful for, and there's a hybrid, right? It sounds cliche, but the first thing I'm most grateful for is my health. I do not take health for granted. I do not take my health for granted. I appreciate that there are people, brilliant people, amazing people, talented people 
who do what most of us do every single day and then do it literally and sometimes figuratively with something, some sort of impediment stopping them from fully being able to do it with the same luxury by which I'm able to do it. And so right now I'm really just honing in on what it's like to be healthy and not taking that for granted at all, especially as I watch my peers and my colleagues, even if they're not battling their own ailments or issues, you know, there are people who have sick children, and that's a very different thing because one thing to have a baby who's born and there's a challenge, there's something totally, I think, different when you've adapted to this healthy child and that changes on you. And so watching the strength by which uh, friends cope with that and then watching friends who have what they coin as invisible ailments, right? So we assume everyone is feeling great and there are degenerative diseases that allow people to look, you know, with air quotes, like they're perfectly fine, and yet they're exhausted physically. They mm-hmm. are close to being immobile, and yet they, they persevere and they handle their day as if nothing is stopping them, at least from the outset. And I think it's not only commendable and remarkable, but it is incredibly humbling, and it truly does make me not take the fact that I'm not contemplating being in a wheelchair. I'm not caring for, you know, a child with a high dose of chemotherapy, and people I know are. So the first thing that I'm just really, really incredibly grateful for is my health and the health of my immediate family. And with that, the other thing that I'm really grateful for in starting this quote-unquote school year, back to school, back to work, period of time with, uh, and based on when this airs, you know, going into the holidays, this time frame in life, I'm really fortunate uh, for a very supportive family friend structure. You know, the people that I not only was blessed to either choose to have as family or, you know, I was born into that family, but the fact that they are just so remarkable, so supportive, and so willing to show up for me. And so I don't take for granted the people who truly do show up and who don't allow whatever is happening in their lives, which may not be perfect, in any way rain or serve as an impediment on the joy that I have in mind. They still want to be these joys and lights, even when they may or may not be facing a dimmer circumstance in their own personal struggles. And the people who are able to do that and do it not only willingly, but so very lovingly, I don't right. take for granted. And I'm just very grateful for, from my immediate family, my parents, my grandmother, my husband, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, to sister friends and, and very close friends who truly do show up. There are people who are in your lives and, and you know, they're, they're great in their way and they do the very best they can and, and you appreciate <laughs> that. And you, but, but you also know as we move and matriculate through adulthood what that is and who they are and, and how they value you or don't value you. And so that level of discernment of being able to say, I love you as you are, but I commends and am overly appreciative and abundantly grateful for those people who I not only love as they are, but who love me so authentically and organically and without parameters. I truly do value them because I recognize the difference. And 
that discernment and that ability to sort of step into the new season of life, recognizing those people who truly do show up and who love you and and your family. And then the gratefulness of being able to recognize all of that and enjoy all of that while also being healthy, I think is icing on the cake. And so that's where I am in terms of gratitude. So powerful. I, I second both points you've made. Man, you are a busy lady. I, as I was reading up about your, your background and what you're doing, you're an attorney and you're a businesswoman and you own a law firm and a business development company. And now it sounds like a media company. I was almost thinking back to probably the point at where you got started and thinking, you know, what was the problem that you experienced or maybe you discovered through doing some market research that fueled your vision to move in this direction and, and create these businesses? Well, to use your, your language, the market research, I feel that the market research was not necessarily new. I feel in terms of the legal market specifically, we are, as practitioners in the community, well aware of those things that are serving our clients very well. And then we are also keenly aware of those systems that have created this almost institutionalized lack of efficiency that over the past 50, 100 years, people have gotten very comfortable with, but that we all know or should know we can do better. And so what really served as the catalyst for me stating that it made sense at this time, at the time that I was developing my firm, to do it myself was that all old systems, when I made this decision, that weren't structured on very strong foundations were in fact crumbling. We were watching it in terms of the finance, the finance industry. We were watching, literally, we were watching it in terms of, you know, the housing market, the finance industry, and there was no, quote unquote, safe passage. And so I think when you know that you are, in terms of a professional paradigm, potentially operating in a legal infrastructure, which is what old or traditional ways of doing things were, it was very similar or akin to the Titanic, right? This is all sinking. Now, we can decide that we want to stay on the boat while they play the violins, or we get off in the dinghies and we say we're going to make our, we're going to make our best way. And there are people who are very comfortable staying on the boat with the violins, and I get that. Uh, with me... I don't think I necessarily jumped onto the dinghy. I think that people kept saying, I wasn't pushed, but I certainly was encouraged, right? If you want to do things the way you want to do it, my dad said that, uh, stop trying to do it at someone else's organization or within someone else's organization. They have the right to want to do things their way. And I kept thinking, yeah, but, you know, you get all these great new job offers and opportunities, and I can take this idea that's in my head and just put it there. And his thing was, what is it that is holding you back from just doing it yourself? And Mm. I realized, I don't want to use the term fear, because I don't think that at that time it was fear. I think at that time it was comfort. There are people who are supposed to create their industries, and there are people who thrive very well building and assisting and working for someone else and both have their place and both are remarkable and I don't begrudge one for the other. And at the time, I thought, this is a sweet deal. Uh, You know, what I, this is a sweet deal, what I'm already doing. Why change the boat? But I went away, I did a, 
program uh, that was through Stanford's Graduate School of Business. They had an entrepreneurship program. And really what I think that did is it solidified my comfort in not just being a facilitator of business decisions, but also being an executor of those business decisions and put in alignment what I was able to do intuitively very, very well for clients with just knowing academically that I had the acumen to do that as well. And so the market had always said we need to do something different. So the market research had been there. It's just that we were all turning a blind eye because you need a lot of things in place to start from scratch. And the beauty of finally deciding that, okay, I'm not going to try and do this from within someone else's entity. I'm going to create this my own is that that created the scratch. And so you don't have the things that make companies risk-averse when it comes to structural change, like overhead. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult to decide you want to scrap how you make money when you pay for Oak Libraries, even though everyone's on the Internet. Um, (laughs) Those are just very difficult things for people to release. And and then what are you going to do with that excess real estate? You actually aren't bringing in the capital to hire more people uh, because your overhead was so bad. I mean, it's this vicious cycle. And so, and not all firms are in that in that sort of rudimentary play-by-play and old-school playbook, but enough are. And that just wasn't where I wanted to be, and I thought I could do better. Uh, I could do it better, and even if I couldn't, I could certainly figure out how to make it incrementally better. And that's what served as the final catalyst for creating the law firm. And then the business side was really... And when I say business side, now it all falls under the Cook Law Group. But initially, I also wanted to have the flexibility of having partners at a different organization and with a stronger or a different sort of consulting business background. And mm-hmm. under the ethics rules, those can't be the same companies. They really do need to be different companies because if they're not also practitioners uh, in terms of law, because you cannot have a non attorney as a partner at a firm. So the goal originally was to have that flexibility. And then what happens, happened was that, you know, it, it really was a law firm and not sort of this separate sort of entity. And so that no longer became an issue. And the firm became sort of just the firm as opposed to these separate entities. But that was the thinking. It was to have the luxury of being able to invite in individuals to do really the business assessment and not the legal um, and opening it up in a very different way. So that was the the thought process at the very beginning, Uh, really just to, to be in alignment with what the rules as an attorney required and to create that flexibility. And then what we learned is when you create a new paradigm of how law is done, you're able to serve your clients with that acumen and not need to have a, a different business. You're able to bring it all, you know, under one structure and, and to serve them in a very different way. And so that's, that's what happened. That sort of served as the birth of, of the law firm, uh, changing the payment models, changing the service model, changing the interaction and the way we engaged clients. And deciding that overhead really was more about ego for us than it was about serving 
the service. Mm-hmm. You're really doing the service. And so that's not something that we really wanted to buy into. And by eliminating that, there was a strong probability that we'd be able to create models where we made money and clients made money and clients also felt like they had partners in the game as opposed to poachers. And that's what we wanted to be. We wanted to change that narrative and we wanted to change what people were telling us from a consumer position they hated about going to lawyers. And that's an awful thing to hear from people who are changing the economy and from business makers across the board. And so that was the catalyst. That's what started the entire process. Are you referring to the pricing model of a traditional of dealing with a a traditional law firm? When you're saying that? That's a huge part of it. Yes. So the pricing model in terms of charging clients by the hour works for many people. And, and that's fantastic. And we certainly don't suggest doing away with it across the board because there are different types of attorneys doing different types of work. What I can say is that in, in, in those instances where they're not able to do strong projections, then the model may make sense. And in some instances, clients are very comfortable uh, because that's all they've known with that model. My position tends to be that it is very difficult to argue efficiency when you are paid for being inefficient. Mm. If you are paid hourly consistently, and so clients are thereby encouraged, uh, or, or we won't even say clients, we'll say employees are encouraged because they have a bill number, right? So you're given a number. You need to meet that number to make your bonus. You need to meet that number to be impressive to your yeah. bosses. And then if you don't meet that number, that says something about you. Well, intuitively, when you're talking to a first year, taking uh, taking integrity out of the playbook, right? Because one would yeah. want to believe that everyone is being completely honest about this. And I would hope that they, they would be. Uh, but you've incentivized someone certainly to not rush and you don't want right. people rushing through their work, but you do want them to be efficient, right? And so when I say rush, I don't mean in the craft of research or writing or investigating or doing due diligence or the actual act of doing the work. I'm talking about typing out an email. I'm talking about these these things that get included uh, that I did not think when clients were complaining about what they'd seen previously in bills yeah. uh, from their previous attorneys. One, I didn't, I didn't think it was fair to be perfectly blunt. And I also know that I want to be treated in a certain way as a consumer. Right. And what concerned me is if I needed something, if I need to hire a lawyer, where would I be comfortable? What would I feel comfortable? How would I want them exploring with me? And if I wouldn't feel comfortable with it, or I wouldn't want my parents subjected to it, why would I want to do that to people who are coming to me for business? Because I truly believe with every ounce of my being that when people come to you, even if it's just a conversation where they're doing their research and they're selecting a firm, I think that it is a very... It's a compliment of the highest portion. It shows a level of trust or, or a purported level of trust and, or an openness to create a relationship of trust. And I want to honor that relationship. And I think that at least giving them an option, if, if they want 
to, and we have clients who do choose to pay hourly, and that's absolutely fine, and we hold ourselves to a very high standard in terms of integrity and what's included in that. Uh, But for those who say, no, we like the new paradigm, then we want to offer them that sort of relationship where they can essentially communicate the way they would openly in terms of business, communicate with a sense of trust, uh, knowing that they have a, this is a, a new member of their team. This is not a third party who doesn't care. Uh, this is someone who's vested, and that means you shouldn't be afraid to go to the bathroom or having a conversation because you're afraid it's going to pad up your bill. No, be comfortable. Let's talk this out. Let's talk about beyond the obvious because the nuggets, the strengths, the strategy, it's not in what's obvious. It's what you feel comfortable when you talk about the vision for your organization, when you talk about what you see, when you talk about what your concerns are. The playbook hasn't been written. When you're creating new strategy and creating enterprise and creating disruptive markets, if it were already that obvious, it'd be done already. So what we want to do is explore that and it's best to be able to do that without feeling like the person you're exploring with is at one point working with you and in the same vein working against you financially, particularly mm-hmm. when you are just getting started. And that's what we aim to change. So Candice, I'm sure, you know, challenging that status quo, if you will, um, brought some challenges. What are some of the big mistakes you made along the journey of setting that structure in place? think when you are serving the market, the market responds in a very positive way. So I think the biggest challenge and mistake I made was not doing it earlier. Mm. I think that we wait so long to create a business that's burning within us, knowing that we should be changing where we are. And we look for every single outside source of reinforcement to validate that decision. We can't wait for the validation from the entire world. If we sit around waiting for validation, we'll never do certain things. It just so happened that my decision that the market needed to change was reinforced by watching, sadly, firms fall apart around me, brilliant attorneys, hardworking people, great organizations, not survive. I mean, and not just in, not just in law, right? In finance, in, mm. in fashion, in technology. I mean, we've seen the crumble and you're watching on the news, your fellow, you know, here in the U.S., you're watching your neighbors essentially on the news talking about how their homes are upside down. Right. And so watch, you know, it just so happened that the timing was ripe for saying, well, I think I could do this differently and better because no one has the hubris to say this is the best way anymore because all of the ways that were being done weren't working. Right now, would I feel as comfortable doing it? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Now I know we've got a winning formula here, right. uh, but the world is, is pretty okay. So for other people who would argue, and I know plenty of amazing firms that decide that they are not willing to do flat rate, though their clients are pushing for it, so they do do hybrids now. Um, Mm. But they would say, our model isn't broken. We're not getting rid of our overhead. We want to keep things as they are. And if our clients, you know, their take is if the people who come to them don't like the way they do it, they can go someplace else. That we don't, you know, we don't take that 
stance, but they they do, and who's going to argue with them at this point? And so hearing that, it can make you, as someone who's seeking to disrupt the market in your way, say, well, maybe they have a point. And so I think the mistake is listening to very well-meaning, well-intentioned, brilliant colleagues who don't see things necessarily from your vantage point and waiting to change their mind before you do something that's different. Um, The goal isn't to change their mind. Look, what's best for everyone is to have a vast array of people doing things in a way that's fair, honest, soaked and entrenched in integrity and proper acumen and skill set and then letting the market decide. That's, that's the beauty of it. And right. I think when you prove your model, then that speaks for itself. But I do think a mistake is waiting for every firm out there to change their way and to get on board and to say, you know, you're the golden child. Well, no, we don't need to wait for that in any, in any market, not just in law or in traditional business. Quite frankly, the stories that are the most stunning are the people who notice that there's something wrong and right. work against the grain to change it. And then by the time everyone else catches on, the momentum has shifted, right? right? And, right. and so the goal is to be, there's, a, there's always a saying, look, you want to be first, but you don't want to be too first because then the, mar- the market won't be ready for you and, and you're right. the brilliant person that was too ahead of their time. Uh, so timing is, is critical, but I think the mistake is waiting for the perfect time. Right. So there is not necessarily a perfect time, but there is a best or better time. And so I think I was incredibly comfortable and because, you know, life is good and life is great and and who wants to go and, and create something new and then you get into it and you start thinking, why did I take so long? to implement a model that I thought was good, and not just from a legal perspective, because we are much, we do a lot more than just traditional work. So I, I never put myself in just that box or the people that we work with, uh, but from a business and from a business strategist, entrepreneurial perspective, the idea is to truly, and I've said this before, but I, I mean it now even more so, Get by on your own applause and keep going and not sit and wait for every benchmark to get some sort of accolade because the truth of the matter is when you're running the race, you really should be running so far that none of that, all of it is just background noise. And your eye really is on the definitive prize, not on chance and hand clapping in the midst of it, right? And so... That's, that's, I think, the lesson that I learned and something that I'm happy to employ now on a more consistent basis in terms of just do the work right. as opposed to, see, look what we did. Right. <laughs> see, look what we did. You know, and, and in the very beginning, you kind of want to do that because you need that reinforcement. And then at a certain point, every, people will know your client's winning tells the story. Your business right. winning tells the story. And that narrative writes itself, and it writes itself with a lot of hard work and and diligence and grind. And the best visual I have of that is the amazing swimmer. I mean, there were so many. So many. And we had, I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. But I think swimming is a great example of with Simone Manuel, when you think about it, she was swimming 
and she hit her mark and she she gets to the end and you watch her she was so focused on the work right yep that her shock was when she looked at the scoreboard and, and the saw work the one. spoke right. for itself. Yep. It wasn't, you know, you can't hear. She's not seeing. She is, right. None of that was in the moment of doing the work. The grind is all that's there. And so, you know, when you're running, it's people, it's, there's dust, right? Because it's all there. It's all kind of this big, messy blur. And then when you get to the mark, you see where it all comes out. And it doesn't always come out perfectly. You know, we're not all Simone Manuel when we get to the end. And when we look <laughs> up, there are people who, you know, they looked up too. Their names weren't up there. Uh, but she did. She did that work, and it, and it paid off more than once throughout the course of the Summer Olympics. And I think that's what we can take. We go in. We do the best we can. We grind. We hit the mark, and then we see what happens. And we learn. We go back and we watch the tape, right? We don't need yes. everybody around us while we're doing the assessment. But we go back, we see what we can do better, we pivot, we turn, we tweak, and we, we go again. You know, you right. do your practice, and that's it. And so that's what I've learned. And I think that it's applicable whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you're working for someone else, or whether you are considering it. Mm-hmm. Because even in considering and making that decision, everyone is not going to tell you to go out and do it. And if you sit around waiting for everyone around the table when you make the grand announcement to say you're brilliant for making it, you'll be waiting or sitting at that table for a very long time. (laughs) And so at a certain point, we have to say, you know enough about what we're supposed to do and what our purpose is and what is driving us to trust ourselves to do the work. And... And then once we make that decision, then it's on us. The onus truly is on us to then do the actual work. Right. And so that's, I think, the belief, not the cliched belief in self, but really the, if I'm going to champion behind anyone, if I believe someone's going to get the job done, if I am going to say up against the ropes, this one fights back, if I cannot say that about myself when my role is to be an advocate for businesses, for people, for humanity... If I'm not comfortable saying that about myself, I really can't expect, nor do I want anyone else to. That's for me to own and for me to illustrate. And the confidence in that and the willingness to work towards that and the mistake in waiting for a lot of outside voices to affirm that is the biggest mistake. Not only I think I have a tendency to make as a human, but I think we all make, and it's one that is best cautiously averted. And that's what I've learned through that process. I'm, I'm thinking about what you've said just now, and I'm imagining that you've probably had to build a really great team around you, right? How do you actually find people to bring into your organization that, that truly care about the organization and actually see the business model from your vantage point? that human resources and human capital and the acquisition of great people is one of, if not the hardest things about building a business. And so your question is timely and well-received because if I were to say there is any challenge out there, it is most affirmatively bringing in the appropriate people. Yes. I wish I had, if I had a secret sauce to how to get it right, <laughs> I would be selling that 
first. That would be the first vertical of the business. I do not have a secret sauce. I'm very much so, uh, I think maybe almost to a fault, still dependent on what some may coin as the old school way of finding great talent while I take notes from, you know, great Forbes articles or Business Insider, you know, whatever the case may be, amazing podcasts like yours, I take notes from the experts as to what I should do to tweak that, you know, when great organizations are strong in terms of getting their human capital, the sales forces of the world, the Googles of the world. You you listen and you, you take heed and you say, okay, well, these are the things that they're doing to get innovative people. Uh, I am surrounded by individuals who are passionate about doing great work, right, mm-hmm. and caring about the clients winning. They take these issues on as their own and they are, it's very personal to them that the people that we serve get the absolute best result result. It's that's a common thread and I think it's almost uncommon to find people but that's part of the culture. I think it's critically important that there's a value there. And the value is everyone should want to be where they are and everyone should feel valued where they are and everyone should feel that their voice is valued by the people around the table. So I think that's a critical component. In terms of bringing in the right people to uh, to answer that calling, so far, if I'm being 100% honest, it's probably, I mean, I hate to say luck, but I, I really don't have a formulaic way, which is why every single time, you know, we think there's, you know, there's time for growth. Oh, my gosh, we're bringing in new people. I, I don't break out into a cold sweat, but it's probably only because my office is so cold. <laughs> I literally, there isn't a secret sauce yet. I definitely believe that gray matter counts, right? I It's not just the stuff that's mm-hmm. on the page. It's the intangibles of understanding businesses, that business acumen definitely can be taught in terms of structure and understanding return on investment and understanding numbers and appreciating that in terms of scalability. But I do think there is an intuitive intangible that some people really just have where they are able to see big picture and bring in, you know, they're avid readers. They see, they, they read about everything. So they have this understanding of, of what's going on in terms of growth. They're paying attention to engineering opportunities for companies that are looking for new products. They understand design thinking. They care about technology in a new and innovative way, but they're not just hunting for the next great app. They're, they're looking at it from across all boards, and they're getting that even companies that create more traditional products that are utilized by consumers that have really more so shifted as opposed to disrupting the market, i.e. a toothbrush. Even those companies that create the toothbrush may very well be becoming technology companies based on their needs, and they're looking at it from across all of those lenses. Mm -hmm. And the person and the people that do that are few and far between. And those are the people that we tend to, other than the hardcore uh, dot eyes, T's crossed people, and those are incredibly valuable, and those are kind of a given, right? Because at the end of the day... We need you to understand a great lens in terms of business strategy and advisory services, but we also need you to be able to make a tight 
beautiful, well-thought-out, properly analyzed contract so that when things are looked at, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but that's what litigation is, right? Everything is, everything's in hindsight. Discovery is about what you did in the past, not necessarily what, you know, mm-hmm. you were about to do, unless there's an injunction involved. So those types of things, being able to be strong in terms of your skill set, that's a, that's a mandate, right? That's not, there, there, there's no flexibility there. But that added value of what can you do beyond being top of your game as a practitioner? Where's your viewpoint? What do you want to do? Where's your passion? If we put you in front of someone who is, you know, in the textile industry and they are coming up with, you know, these amazing new textiles that you wouldn't even think, we think clothes are fine. And then people go and they, they change the, they change what our expectations are. Can you sit and listen to them doing those types of presentations without your eyes crossing? Are you always eager to learn more? Are you constantly challenging yourself as the world and global landscape starts to shift? Um, do you ask questions? Do you listen for answers? Do you devise new answers and add value to group think without subscribing to group think. Those are all things that are incredibly valuable, and it's what I hunt for. And I don't just hunt yeah. for it in traditional places. I hunt for it when I'm reading about individuals who are doing amazing things. And if I think that they could do amazing things with us, then I sort of do a mental note. And, we, you know, that's great. If there are... If we come across each other and we talk, then that's fantastic. Um, I'm not in the business of poaching, so I let people, you know, come to us in terms of expressing interest. But I certainly do know that there are people who call and state that they would love to join, and my I had already been on them. So right. when I when they come and I already sort of I had either heard of them or there's some intrinsic value. And that's another thing. I know who you are. So that means, and not from a popularity standpoint, from a they're smart as a whip or incredibly hardworking and the work they do shows it, right? Because it's one thing. There are people who work very hard but not very smart. So it's, it's all of those sort of magic nuggets for these unicorn of people <laughs> that, you know, you hunt them down. And then when you find them, you treat them well. And you let them know that you're not trying to hide the ball, that they're these unicorns of people, that they are valuable, that they are respected, that they do serve a place. And you respond and respect and, quite frankly, take care of the people who take care of you and show gratitude, back to your point, to the people who work hard for you. And then you also remember while work ethic is incredibly important, I think it is, it's critically important uh, what people who come to you are paying you for. And it's also how enterprises are able to grow and learn. And so there is no, you know, there's no replacing strong work ethic. But I also believe that as we grow older and we create these organizations that we know better uh, in terms of priorities, we know what truly matters. We know what we want to instill. We know what we want to illustrate. And creating a culture that does not say, do as I say, not as I do, but that truly says, your parents aren't going to be here forever if you have parents that you're close to. Or at the end of the day, 
this time should not be time that's kept you away from the things that matter most. We want to be a part of the big picture, but we recognize we are not the big picture. We want our clients to feel like they are the big picture, but they're the big picture for the firm. So if one person has to go someplace else, then we should create and have in our, you know, indoctrinate people in a, in a culture where they have the freedom to manage their priorities and to be adults and know that having a strong culture and strong client service and your priorities in check are not, and they are not diametrically opposed. And that, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm hearing you as the leader of, of this organization, I can tell just listening to you that you place a very high value on that customer experience, both internally and externally. And I'm sure that that's taking shape within your culture, um, within the organization. At least I, I, I would envision that, that that would happen because I of, would certainly hope so, yeah, right? And again, yeah. it goes back to, I know what I like to experience. So there, you know, we learn every day, right? There are things where I definitely say to myself, you know what, I'd like to do this better. Uh, but I know what I like to experience. I am, a, I can be a difficult customer to please. Right. Well, then I need to make sure that within my own organization, I would be pleasing me. Right. And if I place those demands on the airlines when something's happening with my luggage or something's happening with my flight or something's happening with a reservation or any sort of institution where I am having a customer service relationship, business and, you know, not just the law, but the entrepreneurship, creating a business is in some facet serving someone else. Mm-hmm. And if I can't create an environment where I'm doing service at the level where I would receive it, I'm doing a disservice to everyone. And instead of doing the work, I may need to sit and focus on that. And so it's critically important to me that we are professionals, that I, at a, at a minimum, I'll speak for myself, because <laughs> I do think that I set the tone for what happens. Yeah. Um, and so showing that right and and illustrating that good work and caring about the work and work product is is tantamount like that's the most important thing um coming to the table clients aren't coming to you when they come for business strategy or figuring out how to scale a business or merging legal and business ideas if they'd already figured it out they really don't need you there and so making sure we're we're well read and well versed on what's happening uh, and not just in the US we're we're serving global clients so we need to understand what's happening on a global scale Right. So generally speaking, I'd love to kind of give some some advice to those listening. And I know I know a disclaimer could pop up here, but are are there potholes that, you know, new entrepreneurs who are listening, right, um, should be looking for that probably oblivious to when we're actually getting getting things set up? Like what what are obvious things that you you um, you sometimes run into as it relates to media? I think the. And I certainly am not going to be giving out legal advice, but I will give out just cautionary tales in terms of it's shocking, but it happens all the time. I think that the most important thing to do in any industry uh, is to firm up your contracts. I'm always amazed at how many still handshake deals people are very comfortable doing. 
uh, and they never fully understand who actually owns what they're creating and the willingness to to go off of just trust. I think just trust is amazing, but just trust is not always enough, especially when you're talking about work for hire. Uh, interns, you know, there have been some very strong legal cases that have happened. Now we're in 2016. A lot of this happened in 2015 where courts have ruled on this very popular use of interns in offices and individuals are not always as cognizant of what all of that entails and the failure to sort of look at that and state how they're using interns if they're if what they're doing not only is pragmatic but based on new case law you know moving forward is it in line with employment rules right. and the willingness to actually check that um, and follow those rules and follow those laws and so those are the the real obvious things right i think that there is a a goal to sort of I don't want to use the the phrase fake it, but to make do. And look, that's what entrepreneurship can be. It's creating what you can as fast as you can and figuring it out as you go. And I will never be the person to knock that. I think that people who create roadblocks unnecessarily for individuals to be enterprising, uh, legally enterprising and creating new entities and not creating frameworks by which people can create small businesses so that they can employ and hire other people and change their communities. I think that does a disservice to everyone. Mm. Uh, But within that, there is the realization that there are certain things that need to be followed. Having contracts makes sense. It protects everyone. Uh, Following the rules with regards to interns when people are dealing with mobile apps and engineering and, and work for hire. I think that's incredibly important. And then also understanding the why of why they're going into things. I think there are a lot of people who are going into the, not a lot, but I'll say there's always a concern that people are following a trend instead of wanting to follow a purpose-driven project, a purpose-driven business, a business that is really there to serve a need, whether we all recognize that that need existed or not. And that's where the wins are. The wins are going in and saying, not just what question are we answering that people didn't even know they were asking, which is a huge portion, but what question are we answering that people didn't know they were asking that can be monetized? There is a myth that everyone is going to be able to create these businesses and have them not make money. They don't figure out monetization. And then they wonder how highly valued companies are able to survive, do well, survive litigation, have great hires, become these beacons of light, and yet, by all accounts, they're not making a profit. Well, the difference between most small businesses and those businesses that fall under that umbrella are that they were infused with cash and capital from investors at the beginning. In most cases, most individuals, and again, I want to be cautious of using such sweeping language, those who have that cash mm-hmm. have the leeway to scale at a different rate. They can have large, I would never advise it, but historically they may have large lawsuits because, again, they're figuring it out as they go. And if you have capital to finance, those lawsuits are able to keep going. If the mm-hmm. average entrepreneur decided to take that path, one, one lawsuit will shut you down. 
Right. Never mind 20, 30, 40, 50. And so this idea that we don't have to be cognizant of the statutes where we are, this idea that we're going to create something because it sounds sexy is just not enough. It can be a great idea, but is it a great idea that makes money? Is it a great idea that answers a question that we don't, as a community, even recognize we need to have answered, but then once someone tells us this is available, we realize it's what we all needed all along. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be an app, a mobile platform. The end of the day, there's someone making multi a billion, it's a billion dollar industry, and they put a lid on our coffee cup with a hole so that we could drink a small hole, almost like a sippy cup, for our disposable coffee cups every single day. Now, Mm -hmm. no one was walking around thinking that was sexy, but it was definitely necessary. It was definitely needed. There's a value in that. There's a value in the person who sort of looks at an aging population and says, how do I, pardon me, serve the geriatric community in terms of things that they need, particularly if you're looking and you're figuring out how those things are financed and not saying, well, we know they're on fixed incomes. There's not this great margin that we'll get because what are they spending? It's about looking at consumer bases and really serving them where they are. What do people need? How are we creating it? How are we creating it with an eye for the future? Uh, When you're looking at climate, when you're looking at globalization, when you're looking at what may be coming through the pipeline in terms of import-export business, food, sustainability, uh, all of those things play a huge role and are critical when we're talking about developing businesses. And so what individuals need to do is is say, okay, well, I want to have a digital platform, but a digital platform or a mobile app serving what? What is it doing? Why is it doing it? Is it going to survive a, you know, it's foreseeable we will have another, at at least, say, investment bubble on the horizon. And it, it's not a horrific thing. People try and freak out. The re- and it could be. Look, let me not say it's horrific and it hasn't happened yet. I, I think anytime you create a system where people may lose their jobs and the market corrects itself, that's never a positive for the people who are experiencing it. So I certainly don't want to be cavalier in terms of that language. What I will say is that the market does have to correct itself for my business, for all businesses, and we all learn from those pivots. And we do it hoping not only that we won't be those casualties, right, because it's very much so a there before the grace of God go I scenario, but we also don't want senseless casualties in the wake um, who are harmed because people may bad business decisions or too much overhead or laziness or being cavalier. So we we want to preclude damage where it can happen, also recognizing that the infusion of capital has started to change. People are asking for down rounds. The way people are investing and financing companies has shifted. That's the reality. And so we have to take those benchmarks and say, all right, well, if people are doing down rounds, there's a reason for that. Maybe people don't want to have these high false valuations and then not be able to prove up their model when they go back to their investors. We learn from all of those things. Uh, but the important thing for someone who is deciding that they want to go into that space to remember, remind themselves of, and hold themselves to is it's got to be more than just wanting to be the next Uber. Right. It's got to be... It's got to be more than that, period. Uh, when people say we're in the next Uber, the reality is... N- there's one Uber. 
<laughs> you know, or you could say, look, there's a lift, right? Uh, and there's a, a get and they're, they're new ventures. But what the thinking was behind that was that there are very few things that people do every single day. So when you make the argument that you are a company that serves what people do every single day, you've really got to ask yourself, is that true? We drive, most people, maybe not all, most people get up, they wash their face, wash their faces, take a shower, brush their teeth, get dressed, drive somewhere, and Mm -hmm. at a minimum drive back. Now, in some places like New York, maybe they don't do that. So then you look at, are you one of the products that people use every single day? Because at a minimum, you know that in mass, there's space for you, possibly, right? If you're a soap company, look, it's a crowded, crowded, crowded space, but there's something to be said for, I'm one of those things that people use every single day. Now, what are you doing that's different? That because we all were fine with most of us, you know, we may be fine with our soap. What's the standout? And I'm using soap as a as a gross example, but it's one of those things: toothbrushes, toothpaste, soap, washcloths, water, uh, driving. So Uber hit the nail because that's something you're doing twice a day, mandatory in suburban areas. In some urban areas, the ailment was: Are they picking me up? Can I demand it? Those types of things. Right. There were questions that were answered. That people, it wasn't an unknown question. You ask minority communities for years in New York City what they thought about the cab system, and they would say it's it's not necessarily working because men were being ignored on the street. There were so many arguments that had been made that had not necessarily been rectified. And if you lived in an outer borough, um, it wasn't until recently that you had sort of green caps. And then you also have to look, as a business owner, uh, if we're being fair and honest in the discussion, and say, well, was it that there weren't alternatives or were the alternatives not powerful enough at that right. time, going back to an, an infusion of capital and mass aggregation of a resource to be able to push a product through? Because there were gypsy caps, right? There were companies and people and entrepreneurs who were doing their absolute best to service those communities that were being ignored and they were facing rebuttals from larger institutions, larger entities, and so they weren't able to break through. And so as a business person creating a business, then you have to say, where will I fall in that line? Will I be the person who had essentially a similar idea minus the app? So it's, it's different because that minus is a huge one. That is not a small, a small missing component, the on-demand aspect. But there was certainly a thought of this is, these are communities that aren't being served and we can service them. So as a mobile provider, as a person going into digital, whether it's the media space or the traditional sort of mobile application space, the question is, okay, You're yelling out into a sea of ideas, a sea of products. Consumers are distracted. They're busy. They're not necessarily constantly engaged because so many things are seeking their attention. How are you breaking through? And are you breaking through with value? And that's the biggest thing. And just being the the next iteration of a great idea does not always a great idea make. And so it's working on that. Especially, I mean, look, you've got all of those companies trying to do driverless cars. They're on to the next. So yep. my thing is, if you're coming up with a product, are you the next? Will you make it easy for them? Can they just acquire you? Or do you have to explain yourself in a way and a fashion 
that does not make it, uh, oh my God, how are we living without that to begin with? Right. And that's where I think the advice comes in. Right. So Candice, we've got to start wrapping up. Unfortunately, um, time is time is is catching up to us. But before we do that, I've got a few short questions that we like to ask you to help provide some resources and tools for our listeners. So, you know, I'd love for you to to maybe share a book you've read this year that's inspired you. You know, I, I have to say, and I've read this a couple of times, but it's a standout. And I read it again this year. I will say the four hour work week. Tim Ferriss, good book. Yes, yes. I, I reread it because there's so many notes, and he does the annotation sort of on his website and in his blogging and online with Twitter. But I will say the four-hour work week reminds me and helps sort of keep things, keep things in perspective. So the right. four-hour work week is where I would go. Candice, what's something small you've done this month that you're proud of? Uh, let's see. I think I am most proud of this week closing two deals for clients based off of a referral where they all left not only satisfied but very excited and the catalysts for those deals were things that I thought would be good ideas, sort of put that in the atmosphere. I kind of said, this would be great and then just... Again, there before the grace of God go I, a referral happened. They came to us, and we realized that providing them with this information and their strategy, they were the perfect growth tool, and the deals flourished, or at nice. least they look like they're going to flourish. And so I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Wow. That's awesome. So name an online resource. It could be an app, software, or tool that you use every day, and you can't live without it. So right now I do... A lot of, and this product isn't out yet. I'm, I'm using something that's in beta, so that's also the problem. Uh, and I, if it were going to be out by the time this aired, I, I could announce it, but I don't think it will be, so I can't announce <laughs> it because we're using it to sort of test the, test the model for them. Uh, so I will say what I cannot live without. Honestly, it should be told, I mean, the one thing I do use every single day, but it's not an app per se, voice memos. I use voice memos. I use voice memos on uh, to do documents and to flesh out ideas, and then I edit it on my laptop. But I think it's incredibly important to do the stream of consciousness first, because when I try and type it out, what I realize is the phrasing that really works, right. it's gone. And then I start playing around with it, but it's never as strong as it needed to have been. And it keeps everything filed. You can put it with Evernote. You're able to sort of use that with a lot of the other. There are people who love things like Slack and all of that. I am I'm sort of neutral when it comes to that. What I like are I'm type A. I like filing systems that work, no clutter, and any sort of application. Again, Sunrise is great for that. May it rest in peace. It was good while it lasted. Um, I enjoy voice memos because it allows me to sort of just swipe that into folders either on my phone or on my laptop, turn it into dictation, turn it into an actual memo form using the product I can't announce, which is unfortunate, and <laughs> essentially essentially cuts, quite honestly, it cuts about three hours out of traditional drafting, and most importantly, it does not require the cost of paying someone to do that for me. Anxious to hear about this new app now. <laughs> it, it, I 
kid you not, if I had permission to, to tell no, you, I would put them on major blast because that's, <laughs> that's part, I was never doing this before until they, until they suggested that I use this just to see how it works for businesses. And now I'm using it and I think it's great. It's awesome. So Candice, I'm so appreciative of the knowledge you've poured out in this interview. Here at my last question for you and hoping that you'll put the cherry on top of, of this great interview. Um, so, you know, I'd love to invite you to share one action that our future entrepreneurs and, and business professionals listening right now should commit to this week, this month, this year to help them blaze their trail to becoming a successful business owner. I think the most important thing that any future business owner, current business owner, business person can do is recognize that business is a game played in inches, commit to doing one thing, one small thing. And I say small because if you say on Monday, I'm going to write a book, that's not like, that's not happening. You're not writing an entire book, maybe a, a 20 page ebook, but you're not writing a book, getting a publishing deal, et cetera, all in one day. But if you say I'm committing to taking a chunk, a piece, of what I need to do to bring this business forward and focus on one aspect. If it's drafting something, if it's doing research, whatever it is, do that one chunk and, and commit to that and consider that your win and then put and write it down and check it off at the end of the day. And it's not a, I'm allowing it to seep over to the next day. No, this is a, we don't, I hate to say it, but we don't sleep until it's finished kind of thing. Make it a small, again, make it a small enough chunk of, and commit to a time period. I'm going to do that for three weeks. I'm going to do that for three months. Uh, you can yes. scale it out. And what ends up happening is the small steps towards your great big vision give you the courage when things aren't going well to see that they're moving forward. And so it's not that you are stagnant. It's that you're moving, you're moving slowly. And for the people who like scaling fast, then I would say... You not only do your chunk, but work on the leadership of delegating a, a chunk to someone else so that you're able to do that together right. uh, and, and scale that much bigger. But it's not so much you do double because you want to move all that, you know, that much faster. It, you just, you exhaust yourself. And this is really a marathon, not a sprint. But I think taking that chunk, doing that chunk, sticking to it, applauding yourself when you actually do it. Noting that not doing it is not 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 doing it is not an option. Um, and if you find that for whatever reason you're not doing it and you're skipping it, there's a reason for that. And then that's when the reassessment has to come in, because the first work ethic of building the business is your own. And so I would I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's the baby step moving forward, and then you're walking, and then you're dancing. And sometimes you know again you do step backwards. But the thing is, those small inches and incremental growth developments allow you to say, even with a misstep, I'm still stepping. And and that's what this is all about. So before we let you go, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you being so kind to share your story and insight and knowledge and wisdom. Uh, and before we let you go, I want you to tell us you know, how we can stay connected with you. And we can go ahead and finish up for today. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and sharing your broad, amazing audience and this opportunity. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, I am definitely on LinkedIn under Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-S period, uh, Cook, C-O-O-K. 
and you can find me there. I'm on Twitter at Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-S-C-1. I'm on Instagram at Candice, S-C-1 of 1. And in terms of, and I'm on Pinterest, um, and I want to say that's under at Candice, S-C-1, too. Uh, and not two is in the number, but in addition to the other at Candace SC1 or at Candace SC1 of one, I'm definitely on Pinterest under my name. And you'll know that it's me because there's a phrase called something good to read. And on the Pinterest page, I definitely keep articles on entrepreneurship and then also what we're doing at the firm, things that have come out. Uh, if this podcast has a website, it'll be on Pinterest too when it, you know, everything is released so that people can find it there. But Twitter, Instagram are great ways to reach me. I love staying in touch and I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Candice. We're Thank wishing you well for the rest of this year. <laughs> I look forward to it. Have a wonderful evening. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.